Good morning, I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. I, uh... <laughs> my night started off poorly yesterday as I got home from work. Couch, Why? Recording couch potatoes. What happened? Well, I was, I was just too tired to... Like, I, I did my dishes, and by the time I finished my dishes, I was just too tired to actually make myself a meal so i pulled an avocado out of the out of the fridge sounds like a good start and i was just no i was just gonna eat that just cut it in half and eat the avocado yeah uh, <laughs> so i ate the first half as i'm standing over at the sink and then the second half as i'm trying to dig out the pit i just dropped the entire thing into the sink which was still full of dishwater oh so. no <laughs> denied so, cranky anyway well you think dro- dropping an avocado into a Sink full of mucky dishwasher or dishwater is a big deal. Oh, how about uh, dropping three hundred sixty-eight million dollars of gold? Oh my God! <laughs> a plane with ten tons of gold, platinum, and diamonds lost some of its cargo after taking off from an airport in Russia. This was yesterday, according to the Siberian Times and other sources. The incident took place in the far east city of Yakutsk. Police have sealed off the runway, and a search is underway. Oh and there's a God. picture here of gold bars, all sorts of stuff strewn across the runway. Can you imagine being the airport worker who was in charge of closing that cargo door? Well, it looks like, ju- just looking at one of the pictures, it looks like oh, there's a hole in this plane. Like it just fell out. Yeah. There's a this massive hole at the bottom of the plane. It looks like something fell off of the plane and thus <laughs> this extraordinarily valuable cargo. Like a good thing that it happened at the airport and not over <laughs> no a populated area. No kidding. I mean, take a look at the picture of the overall airplane. Maybe they should have used a plane that looks like it's worth more than $18. Yeah, it looks... To, it looks a little questionable in the first place. It looks old. Yeah, it looks old. I think I see duct tape. My God. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> anyway, later on this morning, we're going to talk about uh, what's the most valuable thing you ever left behind, or maybe you, you managed to pick up because somebody else left it behind. We'll have coffee and talk about that, but we want to get your input. Tell us your story, 780-6868 on the text machine. The Winnipeg Jets found two points downtown last night. 11 seconds into last night's game, Chicago Blackhawks scored a goal. Went up one nothing. Eleven seconds. Eleven seconds should have been called back by all accounts. It appeared to be an offside goal. Video replay was inconclusive, <clears throat> and uh, the Blackhawks went up one nothing very early. But the Jets scored five straight goals. Went up five one. Went on to a six two victory. So if you thought the Jets after that loss in Nashville and after consecutive losses on that uh, road trip, three of them. We're just going to kind of pack it in for the last dozen games. It doesn't look like it. It would appear as though the Jets are ready to uh, make some noise on this six-game homestand. They're on Jacob Truba back in the lineup. Paul Stastny back in the lineup after a one-game absence. Mark Scheifele and Adam Lowry could be back in the lineup for the Jets on Sunday when the Dallas Stars come to town. You said there's only a dozen games left? I think they have 11 now after last night. It's getting exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Playoff, playoffs. You know, they're not, they haven't locked down a playoff spot, but they're 
fairly entrenched in that second place in the Central Division. Of course, Nashville won again last night. They were down 2-1 to Arizona, came back 1-3-2. Mm. I did like, you know, come on, give me a break. <laughs> so it looks like Nashville's going to wrap up first place in the Central. And if the Jets, I would say if the Jets uh, go like 7-4 and four on their last 11 games, they'll have uh, absolutely no problem in locking down second place. 500 would probably do it. We have a couple of concert announcements coming your way this morning after 8 o'clock. The first one's going to come right before three things, so wait for that. Also today for stuff to give away, which we will not be giving away right now. I'm just going to block those lines for a moment, just in case. But we have two tickets to World of Wheels at RBC Convention Center. And actually, you know, we have three things to give away today because one of the concert announcements will come with a pair of tickets. Mm. And then we have two tickets to World of Wheels. And and then, of course, at 7.15, we will find another qualifier for the win local grand prize. And that caller, caller number nine at 7.15, will also get a $50 gift card to one great city brewing company. So wait for your cue for all of that stuff. Lots of conversation yesterday about the carbon tax. Mm. And uh, we have extensive uh, clippage. We have... Um, Words from Minister Rochelle Squires, reaction from Lauren Remillard of the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce, Terry Shaw of Manitoba Trucking Association, and many more as we make our way throughout the morning. Uh, one of the things that did come out yesterday was that part of that money that you and I will be paying yep. will go to reducing the PST. Yep. So tax cut, tax reduction... Uh, paid for with another tax. I don't know how people genuinely feel about that. I know how I feel about it. I don't like shell games. I don't like being told uh, on one hand that carbon taxes will never go into general revenue. And then here we are having some of those carbon taxes going into general revenue. Anyway, uh, lots of stuff on that front. And by the way, if you need gas... You may want to fill up today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on the way in this morning... 112.9 at three of the gas stations on Henderson Highway that I pass on the way in. And then on Portage Avenue, I noticed that the, I guess it's two or three gas stations I pass on Portage Avenue are still at 102.9. So if you're seeing it 102.9 and you need fuel, get it because it would appear as though 112.9 is coming your way. Yeah, they're just looking at WinnipegGasPrices.com. I do see that there are, as of one minute ago, the Superstore at uh, McPhillips and Stardust was 97.4, although that could change when the store opens. I assume it's not 24 hours. Uh, but there are a variety of, of uh, locations, SOs and co-ops that are listed at 97.4, 99.4. But uh, if, and there are a whole bunch as well that are listed at $1.12.9. The, the most recent listing here is as of 11 minutes ago, so... Yeah, thanks for the tip on that, Greg. I think Here that'll comes. be that'll be the first thing I do after work if we if if it's not too late. Do you want to rush out now? I kind of do. <laughs> Six twenty-five, maybe. Maybe make a break for it. Exploitation doesn't care what race, color, creed you are. All it cares about is if it can get you. The reality of child sexual exploitation: a four-part global news special series. 6.36 on this Friday morning, and if you have kids around, we would advise listener discre discretion for this next handful of minutes. Some of the contents of this next story may be disturbing to some listeners. The global news series, The Reality of Child Sexual Exploitation, concludes today. Global News morning anchor Shannon Kuzis is here to tell us about part four. Well, this 
final story of this series is all about a unique program that's being offered in Winnipeg. It's a child youth certificate program, and it uses the same curriculum that's out of Red River College. But what's interesting about this is it has added supports for survivors of sexual exploitation. So they're working with Nidinawe, and they have different support workers in with the students who are going through this program to support them through it. Because a lot of this program is survivors learning about what happened to them in their lives. Now, this program and certificate gives graduates the skills to go out into the community and to spot exploitation when it's happening. Because as you'll hear the program instructor say in just a second, that's something that someone with lived experience can potentially spot quicker than somebody who doesn't have that lived experience. They transmute something that has been very difficult in their lives to overcome. They, they turn that into something that is a huge strength. So when we see our students in, um, in practicums uh, bringing that insight, that lived experience insight, they are so quick to be able to go in and size the room up and immediately can tell you who's at risk and um, who, they, who they think um, has been maybe exploited and and can you know operate from that perspective that's not something we can teach in a, out of a book that's not something that you can can learn that's something that you've lived so again um, the combination of the you know the academics and uh, the lived experience becomes something uh, that is specialized so not only is this program helping children escape a potential life of exploitation by being spotted early and handed the right supports, but it also makes financial sense according to the program instructor and coordinator. Here's what the instructor had to say. If we look at uh, the cost savings, certainly from a, a, a social perspective or, we, or from you know the perspective of the different systems that are actually benefiting um, and saving money, if we, if we break it down and look at how one child and youth care worker in this program can prevent a child from becoming exploited or can help an exploited child off um, out of that situation. Uh, we're apt to probably save money in the justice system, in uh, child welfare, in education, like, you know, so that's huge. Shannon, what are graduates saying? The graduates are saying that this is the best thing that has ever happened to them, that this kind of education, this kind of support, it has changed their perspective on life, given them a new lens in which to see what they've endured and how they can go out into the community and help others. The instructor and coordinator of this program told me that graduates are now working in policy development level areas. They're managing their own group homes, and they're also supporting other youth in the community. Here's what one graduate we spoke to had to say about her experience and what she thinks we need to continue doing. For all of our future generations, I really think that um, children are key, you know, and um, our future depends on them. And I think that once we meant, like, if we have that opportunity to mentor not only girls, but boys that are being exploited too, I think they, they can grow up and then they can mentor. And then we can keep that going. And then maybe one day, you know, we all want no exploitation, but we got to come with realities that we need to keep that generation of helpers going. Shannon, 
Where can we learn more? So we have put out articles on globalnews.ca this week, particularly one right now out on how to keep your children safe from online exploitation and how to spot if they're being targeted, which has some great resources for parents and guardians. We also looked at the reality of child sexual exploitation for people that don't know so that they can act on supports and help for people that are in a crisis situation. But as you can see on our website later on this week and next week, and in the weeks continuing that, I should say, we will have stories with resources and that will feature some of these programs with raw videos so that you can get a sense of what that person was saying as well and what they'd like to see happen in the future. And this is something we're hoping this series will raise awareness about so that we can all together as a community take steps to help children and really anyone that is experiencing exploitation. Global News Morning Anchor Shannon Kuzes on a four-part series which concludes today the reality of child sexual exploitation and more on these stories at globalnews.ca slash Winnipeg and cjob.com. Shannalee Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, our rays of sunshine in the studio right now, and behind the glass, Jerry, always present. Uh, before we get on to our main topic, you were reading in the news the story, Brett, or uh, Jeff, about the NASA astronauts, the twins. Yep. Their DNA no longer matched. There was one twin that went up into space for a year. You tell the rest of the and story. And one stayed on Earth, and now the guy that came back from space, his DNA changed. 7% of it changed. Weird. That's not the same as his twin brother, his identical twin. You seem freaked out by it, this. Well, it is freaky, isn't it? Like, what is that? What's, what did it change to? It's the alien stuff, man. He's going to con- continue to mutate or something? What's going to happen? No, now, to he's, now he's fine because he's back on Earth, but I don't know. He was up there for a year. What if he'd been up for, for 10 years? And he did. He did grow like two inches taller when he came yeah. back. That's wow. a gravity thing, stuff, though. That right? resolved oh. itself. The DNA change, like yeah. your DNA makeup changing 7%? That's yeah, crazy. the weight and the height stuff, I think we've known for some time, but this yeah, whole yeah, yeah. DNA change? I wonder if he's got any, like, superpowers or something now. Hopefully he uses them for good. Oh, no, I'm talking to <laughs> Well, you know what they say. So oh. he, if he's the evil twin, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Braun, spinning oh. the yarn here on 680 CJOB. Uh, the reason we uh, invited our friends in to talk this morning was this load of cargo that we were telling you about. Uh, This is a a bunch of stuff you'd really hate to lose. $368 million worth of gold, diamonds, titanium, platinum, who knows what else, as this really crappy looking Russian plane, the cargo door broke and it was nothing but litter all over, very valuable litter, litter all over this runway in Siberia. So we want to talk about the most valuable thing you may have found or or maybe more importantly, what you may have lost. Shanalee Vidal, I know you're a treasure hunter, but have you ever lost anything supremely valuable? Well, you know, I'm not your garbage pail kid uh, <laughs> card. Well, you know what? Thinking of things I've lost actually gives me anxiety, so I'm not going to talk about lost things. Uh, but I will talk about, I have a found story, and it may actually also be a lost story. I don't know, but uh, when I was a child and when we moved to Winnipeg, my dad would not let us have any pets. He said, no pets, no pets, no pets. Uh, meanwhile, my, my brother had an affinity for animals. He was always, you know, finding animals on the street and feeding them and stuff. And so he'd been feeding this one cat outside our house for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. 
And then, uh, and so she would always come back. And then it was my dad's birthday. My dad, who would not let us have any animals. So my mom goes outside and wraps this cat up in flyers. Brings the cat in and says, Dave, I have one more present for you. He was so excited. Really? <laughs> you got me a cat? Look at that. You got me a cat. And so I don't know if she was a lost cat, if she if she had a family. Because for sure she had a family. Well, Come on. In the beginning, she used, to, she used to take off for, for, for times. And we we would we took her first to get her to get her uh, uh, what's it? Spade. Spade. That's it. Uh, but we couldn't because she was pregnant. And then we took her again after she had kittens, and we found appropriate homes for them. She was pregnant again. Oh my god! And then we we knew, and then we locked her. We locked her in the house and right. would not let her out. All what's right. The, uh, what is the garbage pail kid story? I'm I'm curious. Oh, that one is that I I had a garbage pail kid. It was like the. It was like one A or something like, like that. Like one of the cards. Yeah, one of the cards. It was like I think it was like the first one. Like Adam Bomb. It was one of those early, early ones. Yeah, okay. and uh, it was I think it was actually a vampire one. I don't know. I oh. don't know it exactly, but it was a very early old garbage pill kid. It was it was one A, and I put it in my math textbook. And when I returned the textbooks at the end of the year, I left it in there. Oh, you silly girl! Oh. I've silly, never forgotten silly. that. Kelly Moore, anything you found or lost, super valuable? I don't know that I've ever found anything that uh, was of any Besides consequence. Besides true love? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Uh, but I don't know whatever happened to the stamp collection that I had as a kid. I'm, I can't remember if I gave it away or if it just kind of got lost or whatever, but I'm thinking that some of those stamps might be worth a little bit of money now especially with stamps not being used as much as they once were. So that's that's probably about the extent of it. I, I, and I guess because over the course of my career in sports, I should have had a few more uh, sports cards signed by... Do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah, read the regulations, and uh, you know, I, I know how you're yeah. spoiled, but you, you know, over time, you generate and create relationships with these with these gentlemen. So, well, yeah, I right? mean, when you consider, you know, they're the likes of Shane Doan, Mark Recchi, uh, Jerome Ginla, uh, Daryl Sador, and the list goes on. Those guys all played while I was doing junior hockey in Kamloops. Never got one autograph. Oh, way to go, Kelly Moore. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Jeff? I think I'll get anxious like Channel E now. <laughs> I never really lost anything super valuable. Lately, I've been losing forks out of my house. I don't understand what that's about. <laughs> I've lost two in the last month after going 20-some years of living on my own without losing any. Um, and when we were teenagers, we used to we used to lose our beer all the time because we'd have to hide it in a culvert out in the country. And then some other kids would come along and take it. And Your hiding like, spot. Yeah. Jeff, you've obviously hit a fork in the road. I guess so. <laughs> hey, by the way, the name of the garbage pail kid was Nasty Nick. Nasty Nick. One A. Nasty Nick. stealing your forks. Nasty Nick. I uh, once, I didn't lose anything, but I had bought uh, my girlfriend. We're going back 20 years now. I bought her this ring. It was like a sapphire thing. That it was the most I could uh, afford, and uh, but it was a nice ring, and we couldn't find it one day. Couldn't find it. Looked for like a couple of weeks, and then she found it. Like it was, it had been on. I guess she put it on top of the television while she was, I don't know, cleaning or whatever, and it fell behind the TV. We're going to like when the it was the big tube TVs, mm -hmm. right? So it fell sort of behind the TV and into one of the slots. Oh yeah, oh, the cooling geez. slots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so it was just kind of sticking out of that. So we're looking all over the place, but never would have thought to look. There. Huh. Just happened to find it. So that was a huge relief uh, when she found that. 
One of our listeners just texted, I lost a data storage device. I'm guessing a USB stick or something mm. similar holding my final paper for a university course. Oh that stings. Oh. Yuck. Yeah, that reminds me of a, of a grade 12 project that I did. I lost about 30 <laughs> hours worth of video. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Richardson? I've never actually lost anything or found anything of any consequence, but one of my really good friends bought a house and started doing renovations in it, opened it up, found a, a, an old engagement ring, took it in to uh, get assessed and everything. Turns out it was an antique Russian-cut diamond uh, that was... Uh, the jeweler figured was probably worth about five grand. Not bad. Whoa. Not yeah. bad at all. That'll pay for a few rentals. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. In 1988, no, it would have been 1989, we went on a sleigh ride on Christmas Eve, and I had all my keys in my winter jacket pocket, <laughs> and I was fooling around with my, uh, with my younger brother and sister, jumping on and off the sled, got home, realized... I lost my keys. Not only did I lose the keys to my dad's shop, I lost the keys to my 1972 MGB convertible. Were there extra keys for that? No, there were not. So this was in the winter, so I started stashing money away to pay for the 300 bucks it was going to cost to get a new key cut for this car. So I was stashing 5 and 10 and $20 bills up in a coffee cup in the kitchen. Made an appointment for the guys to come to finally, it was April, and uh-huh. I was going to get my car back on the road, go up to the coffee cup. The money's gone. Uh-oh. I'd been out the night before. <laughs> my brother had a friend over, oh. and I was furious. I lost my mind. They denied even knowing the money was there. Anyway, I dipped into some other savings, got the car back on the road. Fifteen months later, I was cleaning my bedroom. Oh, no. I found a pair of jeans. <laughs> the money in it. Was emptying the pockets, and oh, there was the missing money. A pro so lost and found. A wow. pro tip for this time of year: as you get set to put your parkas back in the closet for a Empty few months, all your pockets, and uh, then no, and then put a twenty dollar bill in one of them. <laughs> and then in November, when you take that jacket back, you're like, all right, free twenty. Are you stashing <laughs> forks in your winter pockets? I, 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 I should check. I should check. Hey, did you ever go back to where you were uh, on the sled? No, it was like a kilometers of in, in the snow. No, no. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the sound of anybody who's stuck behind that uh, stall southbound Route 90 at Taylor in the middle of, middle lane. That's yeah. c- sort of the noise that's emitting from a variety of different people right now. <laughs> 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 We're going to talk movies in just a sec. Jeff Braun has joined us in the studio. I'm bracketed by the Coach Potatoes. Jeff to my left, Brett to my right. And Jeff, you mentioned that video of that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man climbing the arch at the Norwood Bridge. Did you watch it? The video is spectacular. He is the spectacular (laughs) Spider-Man. It is really cool. How how did we get our hands on that video? Uh, It's uh, one of our colleagues down at uh, Global TV caught it. I don't know if Spider-Man called them and said, hey, look what I'm going to 
thinking about to do or it just happened to be going by. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I think there might be a story there. Yeah. All right. Uh, check it out, uh, globalnews.ca, and then you click on the uh, Winnipeg-specific uh, icon, and that'll take you to all the Winnipeg news. It is really neat to see. It's in the dark, and the arch is just lit in a certain way. It's uh, one of those cool videos. So uh, what's happening in the movies this weekend, fellas? Well, there, there's uh, one movie that's out, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, actually, that is associated with this. We get invites to sometimes to movie screenings that happen ahead of time. Warner Brothers in particular is very good to the couch potatoes. And they sometimes they send out these invites like a month ahead of time, which they did for Tomb Raider. And I said, yep, <laughs> I'll accept this invitation and I'd like to bring a guest. That was for this Wednesday, March 14th. Sure. Didn't put it in my calendar. Oh, you so bozo. I, so I realized that yesterday after we recorded the couch potatoes, like, oh, I could have gone to see Tomb Raider and reviewed that, but I forgot. So. so not only did you forget to go, you didn't even remember that you forgot to go for over 24 hours yeah. later. <laughs> you are overworked, my friend. Way overworked. Well, he yeah. also just turned 40, so. Yeah, yeah. it's downhill from here, right, Jeff? Yep. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, an iconic video game character. Returns to the big screen, Tomb Raider. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. It'll be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. So Tomb Raider, starring Alicia Vikander as Lara Croft, the video game hero who dates back to the mid-90s. You might remember Angelina Jolie played her in a couple of movies which I were do. just trashed by critics. That first one is the only time I've ever rented a movie from Blockbuster, watched half an hour, and then just returned it. I didn't even ask for my money back. I was just like, you know what? Not wasting the rest of my day watching this stupid movie. And get it out of my house. <laughs> yep. Now, you can have apparently. it back. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, uh, that was unfortunate. Bad. That was brutal. Now, did you, was it just, a, like, did you think Angelina Jolie was good at least, or just hated it? I don't the movie? even recall. It okay. was that long ago. I just remember I was. Was, was not on board for it and was like, no, we're not, we're not doing this. Yeah, so this new one getting better reviews than the previous one, but still not great. It was about 50% last time I had a peak at Rotten Tomatoes. So there's that. And then, Jeff, uh, you previewed this in uh, our March movie preview a couple of weeks ago, a movie called Love, Simon. I'll play a clip and then uh, maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah. My name's Simon. I'm just like you, except I have one huge secret. Hey! I like your your boots. I said I like your your boots. Goodbye. Nobody knows I'm gay. It's a comedy drama thing about a, a high school kid who comes out of the closet and he comes of age and I guess it stars a bunch of other kids and it's you know just kids growing up kind of movie. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Strong endorsement, Jeff. Yeah. Love story. Uh, love, comma, Simon. So maybe he's writing a letter. And uh, it's actually getting mostly good reviews. I, th I think it had a really high score at Rotten Tomatoes. It did have a high score. Last I checked, 89%. But some of those reviews were saying that it was good, but not great. Right. So that's one of the misleading things about Rotten Tomatoes, right? I know yeah. that I always tout it, but you have to be careful because it, just because it has a 90% rating doesn't mean it's an awesome movie. Just it means just means, yeah, it just means 98% of the critics think it's better than 50%. It's, yeah. at, it's yeah. at least good. Yeah. Good or up. Yeah. yeah. It's And not 50%. I think they're, it's got to be 60% yeah. or something like that. If it's under 60, be then like it's three, rotten. Three out of five to get a, a good or a fresh on there. Yeah, and then you know, I can't remember what it needs to be to be certified. I think 80%. Yeah, it's complicated, but uh, yeah, you don't always have to go by rotten tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are like rotten tomatoes decoders. 
Yeah. You know, that's that's your job here. Well, next one is uh, based on a true story, Brian. Yeah, it's called Seven Days in Entebbe. Anyone who tries to resist me will be shot. If you want to take control of the airport, you're going to have to use a much bigger force. But it's impossible to move a force of that size 4,000 kilometers undetected. We can't just sit here and do nothing. So described as a gripping thriller inspired by the true events of the 1976 hijacking of an Air France flight en route from Tel Aviv to Paris, the film depicts the most daring rescue mission ever attempted. I remember this yeah. real-life story as a kid. Wow. Okay, I didn't realize this was a thing. Yeah, the trailer is intense. Uh, I want to see it, although it's not getting the best reviews, but I don't know. I think it looks pretty good. And this one, uh, Jeff, and I know you like to go to Grant Park for yep. time to time. This one's playing at Grant Park. It's a Canadian film. Looks incredible. It's in English as well as Cantonese with subtitles. It's called Meditation Park. Have you ever heard of this? No. Is Played? Eugene Levy in it? I don't think so. Why? Well, <laughs> just because it's a Canadian, Canadian movie. <laughs> <laughs> a default Canadian. Uh, no, it's about a woman in her 60s who finds another woman's thong in her husband's laundry. Oh, we're and, whoops. So rather than accept defeat, she decides to branch out. She looks for a job. She learns to do things like ride a bike. And then she makes friends. First, we obey our fathers, then our husbands. When they're gone, we obey our sons. I don't listen to nobody. And nobody's listening to you either. <laughs> Sandra Oh of Grey's Anatomy fame is one of the stars in this cast. Got great reviews. Probably hmm. your best bet for a quality film this weekend. Honestly, just watch the trailer, Meditation Park. It looks wonderful. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. I always forget she's Canadian. Ooh, Sandra Oh? Yes. I didn't know she was. I believe she is. Yep. 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 There's the Canadian content. That's right. CanCon. <laughs> Couch Potatoes, noon tomorrow. And then uh, one or 6 p.m. Sunday. Jeff's going to celebrate a big anniversary this weekend. It's all in the game. That's the tease, that's the hint, and you can also subscribe to the podcast on Google Play and on iTunes. You know, Manitoba, sometimes you got to leave to become successful to get the street cred that you might desire otherwise in Manitoba. Yep. A Winnipeg airship company has signed a memorandum of understanding with the company in Brazil. I wonder if this makes uh, Bassi, B-A-S-I, the guess who of the airship business <laughs> or the Chantel Kreviadzic of the airship business to tell us what this partnership means for Canada, for Manitoba, for Winnipeg. Joined by, uh, I'm a big fan of this uh, gentleman, Dr. Barry Prentice. He's president of Buoyant Aircraft Systems International, the aforementioned Bassi. He's also professor of supply chain management at the IH Asper School of Business at the University of Manitoba. Good morning. Morning, Professor Prentice. How are you today, sir? I'm very well, thank you. So, are you the guess who of uh, airships? Are well, you... you know, we'd certainly like to be, and, uh, and and that wouldn't be a bad model to follow. I don't think so. So, so maybe just for those that haven't been following the story as closely as uh, uh, maybe Brett or I have, uh, you and I have been speaking for going on a decade now, Dr. Prentice, about <laughs> your goal of, of using airships to, to transport uh, goods to northern Manitoba. You've been doing a lot of testing. You've had some setbacks. Uh, just give us the uh, overall bassy elevator pitch and then what happened in Brazil. Well, you're right. We we have been testing it for seven years here, and, and about two years ago, we lost our hangar in a very violent storm, which uh, ended that part of our process. Luckily, we saved our records, and at that time, we decided we'd focus our efforts on building the gas cells for a rigid airship. We 
we've realized from our research that a blimp will not work. It has to be of the style of the old dirigibles with a frame. And so we were looking to sell our gas cell technology, and we, we hooked up with a, uh, a government program called the Going Global Initiative. And uh, luckily, we had a, a good representative here in Winnipeg, uh, Sandy Baco, who helped us get this established. And we went to France. We met with three companies there, and we have one that's interested now. Uh, and when we went to Brazil, and uh, lo and behold, if we didn't get into more discussions than just gas cells, and we ended up with a memorandum to actually work together to build an airship because they have a very similar problem to ours. Roughly 70% of Brazil has no roads and no hope of getting roads because of the way the climate works. So uh, there's a kind of a marriage, you could say, made in heaven. Why airships over airplanes? Well, just carrying big loads, and, and of course the need to have a runway, uh, even building those is the same problem in Brazil as in Canada, getting the space and, and the ground, and they, we have permafrost and they have torrential rain. So, you know, landing strips are difficult, and, and airplanes, of course, have to have a big landing strip if it's a big airplane, whereas airships can carry very big loads in a, in a very small spot. Talk a little bit more about this fuel cell technology. Well, we're looking at using hydrogen as a fuel, and if with hydrogen and fuel cells, uh, our plan is to have an electric airship anyway, because electric motors work much better than gasoline motors. We all know that from living here. And uh, so if we're going north, that makes more sense. So this could give us a zero carbon emissions airship, uh, or aircraft, I should say. And that means we'll be very competitive already because we, we don't burn much fuel, but even more competitive uh, as carbon taxes come along. Uh, it's worth pointing out, too, Doing this with Brazil gives us a chance to have an airship that's going to be tested in the hot, humid tropics and also in the frigid, cold Arctic. And if we can build an airship that will serve both markets, we'll sell it around the world. So what does this, uh, this, par- this company you've partnered with, Airships, do Brazil? Yeah. What do they bring to the table? Well, actually, they've been working on an airship independently themselves. Uh, they've built a, a small blimp and a hangar. They have a, an engineering crew, and they've got a company there that's backing them. Uh, to actually build an airship for their own purposes. So uh, they bring a lot to the table, uh, experience as well as uh, technology. And and there's a very large hangar in Brazil left over from the old Zeppelin days. It's the, the last remaining Zeppelin hangar. It's big enough to build an airship that could carry 100 tons, and that would cross oceans again and, and do all kinds of things. We're, we're a few steps from getting to that point, but that is certainly something that's possible. Uh, for those that can't do the math or, or maybe don't know, uh, 100, 100 tons, how many <laughs> semi-trailers would that replace uh, conceivably, uh, Dr. Prentice? That would be about four semi-trailers or, or one rail car uh, is the amount, or, or a 747. So uh, it gives you that kind of me- uh, measure. Well, of we course. appreciate you doing that. that <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I, I hear some buoyancy in your voice this morning as we're speaking to you. Does this mark a, a genuine next step uh, in the process of, of making this a reality in Manitoba? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, there's a builder now that we can look, turn to because they have a big staff. Uh, we actually have a lot of interest from customers and a very interesting customer uh, uh, that we can go with. Uh, we have a market, and uh, and we were talking to various operators. So the whole thing is coming together. I mean, it may be a, one of these 17-year overnight successes yet. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Prentice, thank you so much. We always appreciate the time, and you know I'm a huge fan personally of this idea and so thrilled to see that you are indeed making and taking this next step. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate the call.
All right. Barry Prentice joining us live on 680 CJOB, President of Buoyant Aircraft Systems International, or BASI, and Professor of Supply Chain Management at the IH Asper School of Business at the University of Manitoba. And this is, they were doing this in the 30s. They were flying 70 tons of cargo over the oceans. So this it, isn't the stuff of fantasy. It isn't. And uh, now with, uh, with fuels that are nearly, not nearly as volatile as the fuels that were being used in the Hindenburg, which is, of course... I think that one single incident did more to set back the the movement for using uh, this type of aircraft than any other event has done for any other sort of technology, if you get what I'm saying. Um, here we are. We're almost 100 years later before, you know, what's old is new again. And uh, Dr. Prentice, we talk about made in Manitoba solutions for our issues. You talk about the rail line being washed out from you know, in northern Manitoba up to Churchill, here is a, an ideal made in Manitoba solution to fix that. Speaking of northern Manitoba. We wanted to say hello to Deputy Mayor Alan Gibb over in The Paw because we got a package yesterday from The Paw. And uh, the letter reads, thanks again for having me on the small town salute on Thursday, January 18th. We were talking about the uh, the Trappers Festival, the Northern Manitoba Trappers Festival, which was coming up a couple of weeks after that. And he says, our hotel is running a t-shirt promotion as the local junior hockey team enters the playoffs, talking about the OCN blizzard. So we thought we would send some to yourselves, some t-shirts, for you and Greg, Shanley and Jerry, as a memento. Plus, they will help you remember there are actually our hotels in the paw. <laughs> <laughs> and that the local junior hockey team is OCN and not Weiwei Sacapo. Oh, Alan. Also, he sent uh, some 623 Opoly board games, like Monopoly, but with a Trappers Festival theme. Looking Very forward cool. to having you up for the Bill Bannock Ice Fishing Derby on April 7th. So, hey, and this game looks like a lot of fun. And it's nice. Like, I love that it has a Manitoba uh, tinge to it. So, hey, thank you for this, Alan. It's very kind of you very to send this cool. to us. Looking forward to trying this out. One, two, three. Three things with Shanalee Vidal to look forward to this weekend. Hi, Shanalee. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, SLV. Once again, a beautiful blue sky behind you, out the window at Polo Park. It uh, looks like it's going to be a delightful weekend. It does. And that, and that sun in the control room is where you get all of that sunshine where behind the glass Jerry is. And so it's uh, almost as much uh, sun to match Jerry's sunny disposition. Oh, how kind is that? On a Friday, going out with a compliment for Behind the Glass Cherry. What uh, have you got on the agenda for us to do? You know, I don't know what to do this weekend. Shanalee Vidal, you are my event coordinator. Where are you sending us? Well, the first the first thing I have to tell you about, of course, is uh, the big event, World of Wheels. It's a fun, family-friendly thing that most of us have grown up with. Uh, it's, the, it's the Pistons World of Wheels 44th annual event. Starts today at 3 p.m., of course, at the RBC Convention Centre and runs through Sunday. So it's a chance to see some neat cars, meet some celebrities, Ryan Evans from History Channel's Counted Cars will be there to sign autographs, as will Karen Brar from Disney's Bunked. And so what's really neat about getting autographs at the World of Wheels, this is something I really like, you don't have to pay that extra fee. Yeah. Yeah, it's included in the price of admission. Well, I guess that may answer the question as to whether or not we had to pay extra for the Adam West autograph back in 1976. Well, I don't know, because I'm pretty sure. I remember. Have you paid in the past for I, uh, extra? For- well, 
You know what? I'll, that, we'll hold off on that. First, let's uh, get the rest of this from Chantelie. Well, yeah, like uh, typically you don't. Have, I don't know about Adam West, the, but uh, yeah, you don't have. To, typically, you don't have to pay an extra fee because that is including the price of admission, uh, and you can bring something to get it signed, or you can buy a photo there. Usually, if they charge for it, it's usually only a couple of bucks. And uh, I know a lot of people were looking forward to meeting Dean Ambrose, WWE superstar, star, but I have to tell you, he will no longer be attending the event due to unforeseen circumstances. And if you still haven't got your tickets, you can get them at Piston Ring. You can get discount tickets at Piston Ring. Like or that. if you're feeling lucky, I believe, do we still have a pair of tickets to give away for today? Maybe, if everybody's good, behaves uh, themselves, we'll give them away. And uh, the reason why I needed to defer to Chanelie for a moment is I couldn't remember the name of the television show, but there was a show... Uh, Jerry might remember this called Auto Man. I loved Auto Man. <laughs> of course, Jerry knows what Auto. Can you describe Auto Man? Oh, basically, he was he was almost like computer generated or something like that, and he could I don't know he. he yeah, I, I just remember he had, he was like had blue lines all over his body and, and he the looked car like had a Tron lines. almost. Yeah, it was it, and he, it was very Tron like and they had a Tron looking car. So I went to meet Auto Man and uh, I went to say hi and then he I think I can't remember what he said. I was. I think it was like five or six and i think he said did you pay or did your parents pay and i didn't know and i, I remember walking away sad because i didn't oh, get a picture with auto man you got turned away you got I denied got, i was denied auto man did not and then he got canceled so that's karma auto man <laughs> <laughs> yeah see and I, I know when i've gone when i've gone in the past i've never had to, to pay extra because nice i of course i never went to meet anyone as prestigious as auto man mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I did meet Jonathan Brandis, actually, the the, the late Jonathan Brandis. Who's that? I didn't help he me was out. he was in Ladybugs, a movie. With, uh, he was in Sidekicks with Chuck Norris. Oh, okay. He's, he was in the the uh, the was it nineteen ninety one It TV movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. Sounds and like he actually, had quite my, the it was resume. his it was his birthday that that weekend, and my friend and I actually went to Safeway and brought him a cake. You are a no super fan. No word of a lie. No yeah. word of a lie. Uh, cold black heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay, so uh, number two, this one is really neat because I didn't know about this event, but I actually got a uh, uh, something in the snail mail here. Like, it's always yeah, an actual like with a stamp, with a stamp and everything. It's always exciting because when, to get something that's not a bill through the mail because it's so rare that we get we get uh, friendly letters anymore. And Good it was point. it was somebody telling me about this next event. So I didn't realize there were so many collectors of this thing here in Winnipeg. And some of us have, or many of us actually played with these as a child and a lot of us continue to cherish them today. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I just... <laughs> Do you play with your dolls while you watch Young and the Restless, Greg? <laughs> so, yeah, of course, I am talking about dolls. It is the, uh, the doll, Winnipeg Doll Extravaganza Sunday at the Viscount Gore Hotel. There's going to be over 60 tables with displays of all kinds of dolls, like Barbie dolls, teddy bears, even handcrafted ones, even uh, some of those American Girl dolls. If you go to the Minneapolis, the Mall of America, there's like an American Girl Cafe. Mm-hmm. And it's a really big thing where people like have all kind of clothes for these these types of dolls, but all kind of all kinds of dolls. So it uh, runs from 10 to uh, ten to 4. It costs you 5 bucks to get in, a toonie for kids under 12. And the organizers are encouraging attendees to bring a can of fo- pet food that's going to be donated to local pet rescue shelters. If you do that, each can of food is going to get you an, uh, a draw ticket to win a door prize. Now, how nice is that? Now, maybe they have McFarlane uh, figures like the hockey players and stuff like that. Do I, those count as dolls? I don't know. Does I have bobblehead? Those are know? action figures. Okay, action if there was figures. A, if there was a Victor Newman doll, I actually would want, you know those Funko Pop toys 
Kyle Milray has got a bunch <laughs> yes. of them. All those pop culture toys. They need to make Victor Newman and Victor, Jack Abbott one. They do. You know what? I bet there is a Victor Newman action figure somewhere. I just Googled Victor Newman doll and I can't find anything. I need no. to do some more research on okay. this. Clearly. Get, back, get back to the research Clearly. department, Brett. Okay. So now, now quickly, this this last one, you're gonna have this Sunday, you're gonna have your fi- opportunity to get some fill on some tasty cupcakes for a good cause so you can eat your belly full. And I, when I say get your fill, I don't mean get a taste. I mean, yeah, like really, really gorge out on this stuff. So wear your eating pants. Uh, Mawa, <laughs> mentoring artist for women's art, because we all have a pair of eating pants. Yes, I, got, yes. I got mine. Yes, so Mawa, mentoring artist for women's art, is having their over-the-top art auction and cup, cup, art auction and cupcake party Sunday afternoon taking place at 611 Main Street. Cool. So you're going to have a chance to bid on some art. Then after the auction closes, the cupcakes will be let loose and you can eat as many of them as you like. <laughs> Tickets for this fundraising event are $10 in advance, 12 bucks at the door. For ticket information or if you have some art to donate, you can visit mawa.ca. Three things with Shanalee Vidal, heard every morning after Global News at 8 o'clock on 680 CJOB. This is a tough story to uh, report. I know that this is our job here at 680 CJOB. Brett, Ma- Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling with you until 10 o'clock. Court appearance is expected today for a 29-year-old man who was arrested in Oshawa, Ontario, following the deaths of a woman and two teenagers. Police found the bodies of a 15-year-old boy and his 39-year-old mother in a home in the nearby city of Ajax, Ontario, as well as a 13-year-old girl with critical injuries who died later in hospital. To tell us more about this, we are joined by Global Toronto reporter Shalima Maharaj, who has been following this story. And Shalima, thank you very much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. So this is, as Greg pointed out, this is an awful, grisly story. Maybe can you just give us the basics on what exactly happened? Yeah, it's a pretty terrible one. Uh, This all goes back to Wednesday, so we're talking about 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, There was a neighbor who had gone to the door. Um, She had gone to see the family, and of course we later learned that the man who was at the door that she was confronted by was in fact Corey Fenn, the man who is now accused, the man who has been charged with those three counts of second-degree murder in connection with the deaths of three individuals, a family. And we're talking about a 39-year-old mother, Krasimira Petchanowski. She was actually known as Chrissy to her friends and to her neighbors. Her son, Roy, 15 years old, an OHL prospect, definitely a young man with a bright future ahead of him. And the daughter, Benalia, who was 13 years old, known as Vana to the neighborhood. And uh, police have not revealed a lot of details about exactly how they died, talking about them uh, suffering signs of trauma, uh, the fact that uh, they had found these three individuals, uh, most of a family essentially, killed on Wednesday. There was another daughter who we're told is about 16 years old. She was not at home at the time. She's now with her father. Shalima, I, I learned about the story on Twitter, and I follow a, probably two or three hundred hockey-related people on my Twitter feed, and this is how I learned about this. You, you mentioned that the 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 young man, uh, Roy, the son that was uh, killed yesterday, was an OHL prospect, and and yep. the outpouring of grief and concern uh, and love for this young man is really what caught my attention in the fact that this didn't really make necessarily national headlines uh, until the last handful of hours. Well, I know uh, the hockey community right now, they've been immensely touched by this. Everybody has. I mean, you think about people who, 
you know, a lot of, you know, younger children, and we're looking at Roy in particular here. Here's a 15-year-old boy who is an amazing goaltender who has the eyes of a number of scouts on him, and suddenly his life is cut short. Uh, We know that the hockey club that he uh, plays for, that's the Don Mills Flyers, they had issued a statement yesterday, uh, you know, saying on behalf of the Flyers organization, and I do have that statement here, uh, that they are expressing their deepest condolences to the family of Roy, Chrissy, and Vanna, but they're heartbroken to have lost so suddenly the three members of their own extended family. And that's really what we've been hearing from a lot of officials we've been talking to. This isn't just a game. This is more than that. This is about family. This is about the people that you spend all of those hours with every single week. And I'm sure, you know, knowing uh, different members of the hockey community, you spend so much of your time at the rink and with the people that you play with. And for them, you know, this is going to be this is going to be devastating and this is going to be hard to deal with, especially we are now in the midst of March break and we have so many students who are coming back to classes, finding out that their classmate is no longer there. So where is the case at right now? You know, the the suspect arrested in Oshawa. Uh, What is next? Well, we know that he is actually scheduled to make another court appearance that's coming up at the end of March. So that March 28th is what we're told. Um, So at this point, he has been charged with three counts of second degree murder in connection with these deaths. But of course, the investigation is continuing. So that charge was initially two counts upgraded or updated uh, to three. So there is the possibility we're told by Durham police that this, again, may be updated in future, depending on the findings of this investigation. It is still fairly early yet. When we were out at the scene last, there was still a forensics truck out there. There were still a number of investigators combing through the scene and trying to to find whatever evidence they could to, uh, of course, contribute to their case as they move forward. What do we know about Corey Fenn? Is he known to police? Were there any restraining orders against him as it pertains to uh, these victims? Uh, Do we know anything at all about him? We do. Uh, We're learning a lot about him, in fact. Um, He himself identifies himself as a TDSB maintenance worker. Uh, We did reach out to the Toronto District School Board to get confirmation of that. They would not confirm that detail. All they would say is that we should refer our questions to Durham Regional Police. Uh, we did continue to press them for some sort of response to get an idea whether or not a criminal record check is required to work for the board. A criminal record check is part of the process. So that begs questions that if this is in fact the case, how would he have passed the process? Now, Fenn was known to police before the incident. He had been convicted of assaulting a police officer. For that, he was given a suspended sentence and 12 months probation. That was back in 2009. He had also been convicted of mischief. He was given a suspended sentence, 12 months probation, in order to pay $205 in restitution following that conviction for mischief. That was 2011. So he does have a list of priors here. And we are dealing with a situation here now where, uh, you know, he's got obviously significantly more serious charges that we're dealing with at this juncture. So uh, his next court appearance is the one that we're going to be keeping an eye on as well, of course. So like I mentioned, March 28th, that's going to be the date. Well, Shalima, thank you for uh, sharing with us these uh, just uh, heart-wrenching details of a heart-wrenching grizzly uh, action and we'll uh, we'll follow the story as we as it moves forward thank you you're welcome all right shalima maharaj joining us from global toronto here on 680 cjob so last week during our series shattering glass winnipeg's women 
We told you about how some female entrepreneurs are working hard to achieve success. I did a feature on young entrepreneurs who happen to run bakeries. I introduced you to four young women. And today, as a follow-up, we wanted to reach out to one of the organizations that was also featured in that piece, an organization that women entrepreneurs can turn to to get help to get themselves started. It's the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. The CEO is Sandra Altner, and she is our studio guest this morning on 680 CJOB. Sandra, welcome. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Good morning. So the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. We sort of briefly touched on it, uh, but in a little bit more detail, what is it? We're an organization that's been around for the last 25 years, evolving as our clients and and customers evolve in uh, growing their businesses. We provide services such as training, advisory, um, counseling, coaching, mentoring, and loans up to $150,000. How does one qualify for, if they, if they come to you for financial aid, how do they, uh, what's the process? Well, uh, generally we look for a business plan, somebody who's got an idea of what they need to do going forward. Um, sometimes people come to us with just an idea and we have a, a variety of class uh, training uh, offerings that they can utilize to firm up the idea, develop the business plan. Uh, for the lending part, we'll work with them to develop that plan so that it has a reasonable chance of viability from our perspective and uh, then they can get a loan through us or they can lend through us and partner with us uh, for a loan from BDC, which is a new partnership we just announced last week. And that's obviously exciting. I know when I was in sales, uh, the key question to unlock to getting closer to a sale and closing a deal was to, what's, what's the barrier to entry? What's, what's preventing you from taking this next step? What's the major barrier to entry for women as it pertains to starting their own business? Is it, is it finance? Is it knowledge? Is it some combination? I think it's a combination of, uh, of many factors. Access to capital is one, particularly for growth businesses or businesses, real business expansions. Um, women only access perhaps somewhere between 7 to 10% of all the venture capital in North America. Uh, the uh, smaller loans, debt financing, there's still a barrier to entry for women. I would say um, in some cases it's knowledge and access to uh, business information and, and business schooling management, experience, many factors. Well, one of the most um, interesting items that I took away from your uh, series last week, Brett, was a conversation that we did with the BDC and the follow-up to that announcement was the fact that women are less likely to, in fact, even apply for a loan. They're more likely to use their own money or to create their own resources, whether from friends or family or otherwise. Uh, I found that fascinating. Well, a lot of that is because they've been rejected they don't have the same credibility. They get diff asked different questions in a lending situation. They get charged very often higher interest because they're seen as higher risk, even though women actually are generally more successful and more practical in their, in their startup and aspirations. There's a wonderful study out by a Swedish company that actually compares the kinds of questions and conversation around women applicants and, and their male counterparts that's quite eye-opening. And even though today we think it's 2018, right, there's no bias, but unconscious bias really does affect the ability for women to, to have the same opportunities as, as men. 
Well, I'm, little, I'm curious about this study. Uh, do you have any? Do any examples come to mind of the, some of the things that they discovered? I, I can't give you off the top of my okay. head, but I'm happy to send it to you so that you can see it. I mean, it's worth a program on its own. It's really quite extraordinary. Okay. But it's the kind of thing where a, a man might be seen as a real firecracker, you know, and really uh, assertive and, and passionate about his business, and a, a woman might be seen as hysterical or um, over the top. So it's just a different way of seeing the same dialogue from a, a, gender, a different gender perspective. And it's it's really amazing. Well, and that's one of the things. I mean, you it's a, you it sounded like you were quoting one of the women I spoke to, Corey Poon. She said, uh, "When we go into the bank, if I go in with my husband, they they look to my husband, and I was told point blank if I was a man, I'd get it. If but because I'm a mom with three kids, I'm going to either not get it, or the loan is going to have this huge interest rate because I'm a high risk." And uh, that seemed to be the consistent for everyone that I spoke to, that seeking finances was, uh, they would run into this barrier. So when women come in to see you, do they sometimes come to see you because they've tried the quarter, the, what you would maybe think the traditional route, like going to a bank and getting stonewalled? More often than not, that's the case. And in fact, we are supposed to be the lender of last resort in those cases, but we're also what we consider to be developmental lenders. We'll we'll take risks that the banks won't, and we mitigate that risk through the the work that we do, the due diligence that we do with women to develop the business plans, um, the the recognition and understanding of how important ongoing coaching and advisory services are. We have some extraordinary examples of women who have succeeded big time through working with us over a period of years and not that they come and see us for every uh, to answer every question but just the vindication of somebody saying your idea is great have you thought of this or here's an approach or here's somebody that you can connect with we we love to broker people and connect them up together so that they can get ideas and input from each other that's part of our service and we we do it happily so, you know, disruption is the, one of the catchphrases in our economy right now. And how you make a difference is to disrupt the economy. And we typically tie that to technology. But innovation comes in all shapes and forms and sizes, doesn't it, Sandra? Innovate, women innovate in a very different way. I mean, Corey Poon, is, for example, is, is a perfect uh, person to talk about in this regard. She's come up with a product that is so different from anything else that is available in baked goods. This whole day, uh, idea of uh, candy sushi, for example, or edible cookie dough. Um, women innovate in product, in process, in um, ideation, in marketing, in, in so many ways. I mean, obviously, women also adopt technology, but they're not known for their technological um, application kind, kinds of um, products. But uh, I, And I think that's a big mistake that so much time and effort and dollars have been put behind technology, which is very much a fail-forward, fail-fast kind of new business start, which... Women, women don't work that way. Women like to succeed the first time around. And, and there are also, I do a lot of reading of studies, there are also studies that show that a woman is significantly less likely to start a new enterprise if she has previously failed, where her male counterpart, I think it's something like five to seven times more likely to go forward and, and learn from that. And, and I think that just has to do with the different way that, ways that we think and, and see reality. We don't 
you know, women take this very personally if you have a, a business failure where a guy can close the door on it. And I know that's a terrible generalization, and I, I want to be careful about saying that. <laughs> no, but no, no. But, it, the, the, you know, when you say these things, typically there is research to back that up. Exactly. You're not You're not making that up. It's not – there's empirical evidence to, to back that up. So, uh, you know, uh, there is no one answer for every question like that. But I understand where you're coming from in a general sense. With uh, that, that, that makes sense to me. Well, we've seen it. I mean, anecdotally and empirically, uh, you know, we have one of the the most incredible researchers, Barbara Orsert for for women's entrepreneurship in Canada, probably in North America. Some of the work that she's done to show the the significant differences between men and women and their approach to business and the um, their access to capital and the way they do business is really worth a read. All right, Sandra, we got to leave it there. But thank you for coming in. Uh, this has been—it's been a pleasure to meet you and learn more about uh, your organization. The website, by the way, is WECM. That's the Women's Enterprise Center of Manitoba. The CEO is Sandra Altner. I'm looking at a website right now, Brett. It's called uh, org. Don't go to the On the Docks pub in uh, southern Ontario. I mean, you could go there if you want. Probably you have some good food and uh, beer there. Yep. But onthedocks.org is a website that's oriented to the Alexander Docks here in Winnipeg. And those unfamiliar with where that is, it's on Waterfront Drive now, just north of the old James Avenue pumping station. There's the Mir Hotel is there. And it's been abandoned, and it's been out of use, been decommissioned since 2015. And the group that we are visiting with in our next half hour has a, has a plan to engage the public to figure out what on earth should we do with the Alexander Docks. And it's the Alexander Docks Ideas Competition. We have Lorraine Bachant and Aaron Pollock in studio with us to tell us about this. Uh, Lorraine and Aaron, thank you for joining us. Oh, I got to turn your microphones on. Sorry about that. That helps. <laughs> uh, now, the first question, or the first thing I want to remark, when you go to onthedocks.org, you've put up this wonderful picture, which is actually, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting contrast because it's this beautiful black and white picture that shows a bit of Winnipeg skyline, but it's just this kind of, it's kind of gross, really. Like, like, that's the word that comes to mind when I look at the shape of these docks. You see this area that's fenced off. You've got this kind of all this dead looking bush and stuff it's just not a uh it's not a lovely scene is that why you put this picture up i mean yeah it's uh it's been an area of vital growth over the past couple decades and so this one stretch of land that has been kind of closed off since 2015 has been left as a derelict site and so loren and i are uh we work nearby the site we have our lunch at a nearby dock and looking at this space we thought to ourselves man, that's ugly. Like, what could we really do about this? So that was kind of the fruition. So what compels you to take that sort of thought? I have those thoughts about uh, different parts of our city at times. What takes that thought, Loren, and uh, allows you to take the next step and to create this competition, this website? Well, I think uh, we're both architects at uh, Number 10 Architectural Group, so we have kind of the background and just the interest in in seeing development development in our downtown uh, we also think that the more we involve the community, the more there's a chance for something to happen. Uh, we think that's a great way to make the city see how involved people want to be and how they're interested in seeing something. So, um, yeah, we just, it's kind of out of nowhere that we decided to do this. And uh, we just figured, you know, let's stop complaining and 
Let's do something. And do something. Well, yeah. either you're part of the part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Right, you're exactly. clearly trying to be part of the solution. I know Global Television, uh, along with us at uh, 680 CJOB. I guess it was just over a year ago, almost two, that we did that series on the rivers, the city and our relationship with the rivers. And Everyone Alexander was Docks was was a critical part of that right. relationship, right? You had the paddle wheel queen and princess. You had the Lord Selkirk too, Doc, there at different times. River Rouge at, at other times. And for a lot of people, that was the gateway to the rivers. And when you hit the rivers, you see Winnipeg in a completely different vein. But I can tell you from spending as much time as I do on the river in the summertime, when you hit Alexander Dock, it is this incredible contrast, right? The changing skyline, the impressive redevelopment on Waterfront Drive, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. And then you look over, Brett described it perfectly. How do we re-engage and how do we fix this? So do you guys have some of your own ideas or are you looking exclusively for the public to get involved? How is this going to work? I mean, yeah, we have our own biases. And as designers, of course, we could come up with a bunch of different ideas and think of all the different solutions. But I think the reason that we're doing this ideas competition is so it's not solely just designers looking at the site. We're really wanting to activate the community and see what they really want in terms of connecting themselves and the city with the river. So it's it's kind of a continuation of the conversation with what do we do with the rivers, how do we access it. It's kind of a conversation of how do we engage the public. It's kind of all those things in one that we want people to get together and submit their ideas. So what happens once this is all done? Are you going to take whatever ideas are presented to the city? So the final uh, the final thing is an exhibition at the Mir Hotel on the uh, outdoor patio so people can see the site at the same time. Uh, all the submissions that are submitted will be uh, showcased, which is a bit different than the typical design competition. Usually, you know, you get your 10 best. We really want to showcase as many as ideas as possible. After that, we'll have um, a mobile exhibition that will go to the Forks and to the Manitoba Concert Hall as well, again, to reach as many people. And then we'll take all the submissions and a bit like a petition, send them to the city of Winnipeg and uh, hope that they'll see that, you know, people want something to happen on this site. I was at the concert hall, uh, just wandering around. We were at the museum a few months ago. I'm wandering around the concert hall. I wanted to show my kids. I used to go there with my grandmother all the time. And there's still this, there's still a model of what is, Winnipeg yes. yeah. was supposed to kind of look like when they first created the the Civic Center uh, complex, right, with the concert hall mm-hmm. and the planetarium and then this new city hall and that vision that Stephen Juba, that era of Winnipeg, had of what that part of Winnipeg was supposed to look like and, and the vision for the future. And some of it, uh, it was very exciting. Some of it kind of scary had it come to fruition, right? Because it would have meant the demolition, essentially, of all the, at least the East Exchange, if not all the Exchange District. And so when you see those models and you, and you see how far we come and realize that the Exchange was sort of here by accident because of the timing of when the economy w- was lousy in in Winnipeg. Uh, I, th- I think we we realize how precious these uh, buildings and how close we were to losing all of them, Aaron. Absolutely. I think it was a, a happy accident in that it didn't happen. Uh, I think there's a lot of history and a lot of uh, really great vibe in that area and a lot of texture. So I think what we're trying to do is then pull on that area, pull on the residents, pull on the local shop owners, take that culture that's already existing in the exchange and really just kind of drive it home into that one site. 
So as far as maybe just a, a recent history of the docks, uh, Lorraine, this is, it's owned by the city, right? right? Correct. So why is it closed? Why is it fenced off? So in 2015, because of the, the ice, there was major damage to the docks, and uh, it was just really costly to repair them. I don't have the exact price, uh, the exact cost of, the reparation, of, the, of fixing them, but uh, the city has decided to close them for just the safety of the public, basically. Okay. And uh, why it's just why do you think it's just been sitting there for two and a half years and nothing's been done? To to be honest, I'm I'm not sure. I, I think there's definitely a cost um problem, but um I think the city had, had other priorities and we're trying to shift it back to the the development of the docks. Because there's definitely um when, when we talk to our uh, partners that are promoting this competition, there's definitely an interest from the private sector to develop the site. Like a lot of the owners around the, the site want something to happen, especially the Mir Hotel, who even their, their patrons are complaining about what they're looking at when oh, they're wow. in their hotel room. So, um, so yeah, there's interest for the site. It's just about voicing it. There was a proposal not that long there, ago, right? Was, to, yes. to build a building there and then that would have cut off the view for a lot of the people on Waterfront Drive. So I think it was controversial from that point of view. Is it, and I know you don't want to slant this in any way, but but do you think that the overwhelming or the majority of people would like to see this remain a public space? What, what, what's your sense of that, uh, Loren? I think there's ways to make public space, but not necessarily just a park that ends up being not used that much. Like if we look at the Stephen Juba Park, which is a beautiful space, we're there every day, it's not used that much. So why would we just extend the park? Um, there's ways to make mixed use of the site and maybe have, you know, restaurant with patios, but with a with a green space or with something for kids. Uh, there, it could be a Ferris wheel. It could be like, it could be something that connects us back to the river. I think something that uh, the citizens and the city want to see is a connection back to our ri- riverfront. And and the Forks has shown this with the the go to the waterfront um, initiative. So there's there's definitely an interest to to connecting to our rivers, and I hope the submissions will promote that. It is the Alexander Docks Ideas Competition. The website is onthedocks.org. And our studio guests are Loren Bachant and Aaron Pollock. They have spearheaded this. They are architects with number 10. If you've got any ideas that you quickly want to send to us, shoot us a text, 204-780-6868. The Alexander Docks Ideas Competition is what we're talking about, onthedocks.org. Our guests are Loren Bachant and Aaron Pollock. They are the people behind on the docks and they are telling us about this ideas competition and what to do with the Alexander docks which have been closed and fenced off since 2015 and we're getting a couple of text messages a couple here. of really neat ideas too yeah uh, so why don't you pitch one here Greg? well this one's a more simple idea and I think there are a lot of us that would endorse this idea a marina should be built there we are not taking advantage of our rid of our river city history and future and how about this you mentioned a Ferris wheel Loren. <laughs> Enough, these are <laughs> these are getting popular all yeah. around the world as tourist attractions. A Ferris wheel over the river that dips into the river <laughs> and deposits water into a tall waterfall type plant structure that goes back to the river, and some of it goes to water plants or into a water tower. So uh, a functional as well as a uh, as a engineering marvel. It sounds like a <laughs> great idea. I, you see, you just have to put the ideas out there, and obviously people are uh, are going to be submitting their ideas. How do they do that? 
Uh, it's pretty straightforward. We've kept it simple for everyone. Uh, if you go onto our website on the docs.org, we have a submit page and downloads. And it's essentially just downloading an 11 by 17 line drawing of the site. And we ask people to just kind of draw on top of it, uh, paint on top of it, however you want to present your idea. And then if you want to provide a short 150-word description, um, that's what we'll kind of use as your submission. Sounds fantastic. I know there's one thing that you're asking people to keep in mind with regard to uh, a memorial that lives on the docks right now. Right. Um, we uh, So there's the... Unfortunately, the, the body of Tina Fountain was found on the site, and uh, we've been in contact... Um, with the um, indigenous community, and we we hope to see a, a strong response on what should happen to the site. There's been an informal memorial on the site already that's been kept up, kept up by the community, and uh, we don't uh, force anybody to include a memorial to the site because we don't think it's our it's our um, place to say what sh- what should be there. But we strongly enc- encourage people to uh, include a memorial. Once again, the website on the docs.org. Aaron Pollock and Loren Bachan, architects with number 10 architectural group. They are behind this and they want your ideas, so go submit them. Loren and Aaron, thanks for coming in today. Pleasure to meet you all. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB.